today is a perfect day for us to spend some time thinking about who elders are and what elders are supposed to do. What is the role of an elder in the local church? What does God intend for elders in the local church? What are elders actually supposed to be doing? And who should be an elder? So, so hopefully, as we look at Acts 20, as we look at Paul addressing the elders of Ephesus and encouraging them with his own life's example and then giving them really specific exhortations, I hope that you come away with answers to those questions and more. Acts 20, right in the middle of it here, there's this lengthy speech by Paul, and in it, he shares his life. And he says, I have been an example to you of how you are to now lead your churches. And then at the end, um, he gives them really specific exhortations. He says, you need to do these things. And and as, as he gives this speech, I think he shows us two really important things about elders, about eldership, and really about why the local church matters. There are two things I want us to see this morning. First, I think that Paul, through this speech, shows us that elders set the pace of the church. So why, why are elders important? Why, you know, why, why take this really uh, uh, complicated and serious process of, of calling new elders? Why is it such a big deal? Why can't we just take volunteers, you know, and who wants to lead this year, you know? Why can't we just do that? Or why can't the elders just appoint whoever they want? Why go through all of this? Well, first, it's because the elders are responsible for setting the pace of the church. And second, second thing I want to show you today is that Paul shows us that elders preserve the beauty of the church. So elders set the pace of the church, and elders preserve the beauty of the church. We're going to look at this. um, We're going to see some expectations, some responsibilities of elders um, in this passage. So if you are currently an elder, I would would want you to to listen carefully to this passage and apply that to your own role. Um, You know, uh, I promise you, uh, you will be uh, humbled by this. You'll come to the end of this and say, you know what? I could never do what Paul's doing here. Paul basically says, hey guys, um, you want to know how to be an elder? Just do what I did. You know, I mean, I I just, I do not have the confidence to say that at this point with you guys. Like, Paul just, he was on a different level. However, if you are currently serving as an elder, if you are potentially uh, going to serve as an elder, if you're interested in eldership, and especially you two guys, as you guys are, you know, uh, elder candidates for us right now, I want you to listen to it through, or listen to the sermon through that lens. If you have no interest in being an elder, if you're still like, I'm getting sick of hearing the word elder, it doesn't matter to me, I don't understand, I'm never going to be an elder, who cares? Okay, this is a sermon for elders, and you've already got, you're already checking the the scores, right? You're like, okay, who's playing today? You know, I don't have to listen to this sermon. You've already checked out, because this is a sermon for elders, and you're not an elder. I want to encourage you to listen, because we also see some very important metrics for a healthy church. So the expectations that are given to elders teach us something about what the church should be striving for. So there's a word here for all of us. All right, two things I want to show you. Elders set the pace. Elders preserve the beauty of the church. First, elders set the pace of the church. Now, as we've gone through the book of Acts, the early church was very aware of and and very consistent with a very specific mission that was given to them by Jesus. And that, that's something that just it baffles me as, as the years have passed and, and people debate what the church is actually supposed to be doing. 
I understand that contexts are different, how this mission is fulfilled looks very different in different places and in different times throughout history. But to be confused about what Jesus expects of the church is confusing to me. He seems to be very clear in what he expects of his people after he left, that we make disciples, that we are his witnesses to all nations, that we replicate his image, his likeness in others by spreading the news of the gospel. And that's what we have seen throughout the book of Acts. We've seen it through Peter. We've seen it through Paul. We saw it through even Stephen as, as, as he uh, you know, was one of the first martyrs in the church. They are specifically spreading the news of what Jesus has done through his life, death, and resurrection. And they are teaching and, and shaping other people into his likeness. Now, in reality, the mission was given to a very small band of believers before Jesus ascended into heaven. You remember Acts 1. Acts 1 was forever ago. But do you remember Acts chapter 1? It's a small group of people. And Jesus meets with them and he says, hey, here's what I expect you to do. And then Jesus leaves. He leaves. And at this point, we have Paul making plans to take the message that he eventually received. In Acts 1, Paul wasn't even on the scene. He, he wasn't even a believer in Jesus. And now in Acts chapter 20, we already see Paul making plans to take this news, extend this mission into Rome. And eventually into Spain is where he's going to end up wanting to go. But it started with this small band of believers. He commissioned Jesus, commissioned his followers to make disciples of all nations, to be witnesses of him to the ends of the earth. And what we see from very early on, and then we see it still in Acts 20, and we need to see it today is that the church is on the move. The church is on the move. The gospel is advancing, not through these really dramatic or creative ways. Have you, have you been paying attention to the book of Acts? Sure, we have really gifted communicators. We, we, you know, we, we, have, we have a lot of people here who you know, have special callings and ministries from the Lord like Paul. I mean, you're not an apostle, I'm sorry. You're never going to be one. Paul was an apostle, he's different. But what you see more than anything else in the book of Acts, we have Paul meeting with this group. There's a group, they outnumber Paul. These guys are elders of churches in Ephesus. And there are members of churches spread all throughout the city of Ephesus. Do you know how? Because ordinary people came to faith in Jesus, were captivated by him, believed in the mission, and told other people about it. And it spread, and it spread, and it spread, and it spread all throughout the world of time. Now, that's why I want to keep emphasizing that our church's mission is and must remain consistent with the historic church. We exist to make disciples who love God and who love others. And we want to see people come to know Jesus. We want to see people be shaped into his likeness. And then we want those people to go out and do the same thing and let this thing keep rolling. But just because the church is a movement of people doesn't mean that the church is the wild west meaning that it's just a, a bunch of individual christians just kind of doing their own thing i think we're really prone to that error here where we we view our christianity as our own it's a personal decision we talk about personal salvation it's my faith i believe in jesus and then you worship the lord however you see fit however is best and you're very good because i'm very good at, at justifying 
you know, whatever it is that we're doing, um, it, it, it's not hard for us. And we just were like, hey, you know, we, that's why it's so easy for us to, to hop around from church to church. It's just easy to do because it really doesn't matter what community we're plugged into. What matters, the only thing that matters is my personal relationship with Jesus. And in fact, the end of that argument is I don't even really have to be plugged into a local church. I cannot be a part of the church and still have this personal relationship with Jesus. But we can't read the book of Acts and think that that's important. We, we can't do it. Another pattern that we see in the early church is structure. There's organization. Paul didn't just share the gospel and then lead people to faith and then just, you know, throw up the deuces and, and leave and say, hey, you have everything you need. You have the spirit, you know, you've got some scriptures. Grow in your faith. Pray. Read the Bible. Go to, go to church. No. Um, when Paul planted churches in the cities that he preached the gospel, he was calling individual Christians who came to faith in Jesus into local organizations that we call churches. See, the goal was not just for individual Christians to live on mission, but for these new organizations, these new churches to live on mission together. And the structure and the organization of these churches deeply mattered to Paul because it deeply matters to the Lord. So in order for these churches, think, okay, follow with me, track with me, in order for these churches, not just as an individual person, but a collection of people to be on mission and live on mission together, in order for us to keep moving, what do we need? What, what, what do we see here in, in Acts and in the New Testament? They needed leadership. We need leadership. If we're going to continue to be on the move with the gospel, we have to have leadership. And so this is where it gets really interesting because Paul was unique. Paul, I mean, Paul, do you remember Do you remember that weird passage um, from Acts 19 where if you don't think Paul's different, Paul would, was just chilling, you know, just kind of hanging out. I don't know what he was doing, but just kind of hanging out. And people would literally bring, like, you know, handkerchiefs and aprons and pieces of clothing, touch his skin and take that and touch someone who's sick and they would be healed. Paul's different, okay? Like he, he definitely is. So if anyone would have been looked to to be the primary leader of not just one local church, but all the churches that he's planting, it would have been the Apostle Paul. But what do we see? When he plants these churches, he doesn't say, okay, now I'm the Pope. Look to me. I've got, I'm, I'm the one. I, I have the special mission from the Lord. I have a special connection to him. I'm the one who's going to lead. When he plants churches, he raises up leaders. Ordin ordinary Christians who are completely nameless on the pages of Scripture to lead these churches. Now, Paul spent more time in Ephesus than he did anywhere else. While he was there, he raised up elders for those churches. And so now he gives them this final farewell. And when he does, he is telling them by his own example that they are to set the pace of the movement of the church. So I'm going to be gone, Paul's saying. I'm not going to be back. You're probably never going to see me again. Keep moving. Keep moving with the gospel. Keep moving with the king, 
God. And he's giving this instruction to the elders because they are the ones that are going to set the pace. If the church is on the move, the elders of the church lead out in setting her pace. Now, as you can probably expect, I know absolutely nothing about NASCAR, okay? Very little, very little. Do you know what I remember about NASCAR? The only NASCAR races that I have seen um, were when I was really little, and we would go to my uh, grandparents' house, and uh, my, uh, my papa would turn on the NASCAR race, he would sit in his chair, and he would fall asleep. That, that, those are my memories with NASCAR. And I'd be stuck in there watching it because the remote would either be stuck under his arm or it would have fallen right beside him. And, I mean, what are you going to do, you know? You ain't waking Papa up. It's just, okay, he turned the, he turned the race on to, to sleep to it. Maybe, I don't know, I, I would try to sleep to it. Hey, maybe he's on to something here. This, this might be really soothing. Um, but, anyway, I, I know nothing about it. However, one thing I do know, one thing I do remember, other than Dale, baby, you know, I remember Dale um, uh, Earnhardt. Um, but uh, one thing I do know is that in NASCAR, they have, they have what they call, you know, the pace car. And so, so anytime there's like a wreck or there's a stoppage of the race, they don't just shut the engines off and just, just park all the vehicles while everything gets cleaned up. They have a pace car that gets out in the front and just slows the pace of all of the cars who are on the race. And they have to slow to the pace of that car. Um, now, hopefully this does not mean that like a pace car, the elders are slowing down really gifted and, and fast-moving uh, church members who could really take us places if we would only get out of the way. Hopefully that's not what it is. Um, what I'm saying is that elders are, in a sense, like a pace car at the front of the pack setting the church's pace. And sometimes that's for the better and sometimes that's for the worse. Uh, it, um, sometimes that does mean slowing things down if things need to be slowed down. And sometimes it means helping everyone pick up the pace. Another simpler you know, way to say this is that elders are called to be examples of what the church is to be and do. Elders are called to live and to lead in such a way that helps each member and the church as a whole fulfill the mission that has been given to us. And while this isn't always the case, usually the culture of a church is reflected or is a reflection of the culture of her elders. So, Paul, through his example, shows the elders of Ephesus and shows us that elders set the pace of the church in a few very specific ways. And I want to outline those for you here. First, first, elders set the pace of a church by loving the church. I want you to read, read this with me. Follow along with me as I read. Starting in verse 18, he's called the elders to himself. They came to him and he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. Now, I want you to skip down with me all the way down to verse 36. All the way down to verse 36. So after he finishes his exhortations, this is what Luke tells us. When he said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word that he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. 
and they accompanied him to the ship. Paul's affection for the Ephesian elders and by extension the churches of Ephesus is plain to see. And you see it in his letters as well. What we see here is that elders do not lead from a distance. Elders don't just meet together, make decisions, and then pass them you know, on down, and then you find out about it later. Elders are called to draw near to, to the church that they're leading. They're called to draw near. Elders are to know the flock of God that has been entrusted to them. Elders are to feel joy when other church members feel joy. Elders are to feel pain. Feel pain. When you're, when you're sad, I'm sad. When you're happy, I'm happy. And that's why elders should, in a lot of ways, just be a mixed bag of emotions. It's because of, of, how, of how life in the church works. Some of you are so happy right now at how life is going. Others, you're terrified. Some of you are just sad. Some of you are scared. Some of you, know, some of you, you know, are, are thrilled. But as elders, we should know all of that because we're drawing near. Our love for the church should be seen. And this is one of the reasons that eldering should be difficult. There should be a real emotional connection when you're ministering to the same people week after week and year after year. Now, by loving the church in this way, elders set the pace for love through the church. Elders and their love for the church show by example what it means to love one another. So, here we go, connecting it to our mission. In order for our church to make disciples who love God and others, we need elders who set that pace by loving God and by loving others. So, so we set the pace by loving God. Elders also set the pace of the church by serving God. So look at verse 19 with me. So Paul's giving, he's saying, hey, here's how I lived among you. Here's one thing I did. Verse 19, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. Paul says that he lived before these elders in service of God that was marked by humility. This means that Paul knew his place. He was God's servant and no more. He feared God, he lived for God, and everything he did was in submission to what God had called him to do. And this is the pattern for elders. Elders are called to serve the Lord in their role, not themselves. Elders should be examples of humility. When you think of our elders, you should think of men who look to God for strength and wisdom, who plan and lead according to what God would have them do. One of the things that encourages me most about, about our meetings is, is when, you know, Eric or, or Lucas or Philip or, or Avery will, as, as we're talking about something we need to do, it will, it will circle back to what God intends. Is, is there something really clear in the word of the Lord that, that we need to just be following here? And if not, then, you know, let's, let's just use collective wisdom, let's pray, let's depend on the Spirit. But I love their dependence on God first. It's a sign of humility. Um, now, Paul says he also served God, not just in humility, but through trials and tears. Through sorrow and through suffering. Paul's commitment and service to God and these churches never wavered. You see, elders are called to a life of perseverance. 
when life goes wrong, when church life goes wrong, elders stay the course. Elders keep setting the pace. Now, we may recognize when things are going really bad, we need to slow down. Or we may recognize, hey, things are going really bad. We need to speed up. But the point is, the elders are there. They're constant. They're present. They persevere when life gets hard in the church. They keep moving forward toward Jesus, even as they wipe tears away from their eyes. So if you want to serve as an elder, you need to be aware on the front end that tears and trials are in your future. It's, it's a part of the gig. But, but this is true for each of us, not just elders, right? Life together in a local church. When you really take church membership seriously, when you really plug in, when you really get close with one another, and you really try to make disciples, there will inevitably be a time for tears and a time for trials. Maybe we all need to adjust our expectations and say together, this is normal. It's normal for life to be hard in a church. It's normal. It should be expected. But by God's grace, neither sorrow nor suffering are powerful enough to put an end to God's mission. And neither are powerful enough to put an end to God's church. And elders play a vital role in showing the church how to remain faithful servants even when life goes wrong. Okay, by serving God. So elders also set the pace not only um, uh, by serving God, not only by, um, <coughs> um, uh, sorry, uh, by loving the church, uh, but also by teaching. Now this is, whenever you have the officers of the church, you have elders and you have deacons. Um, the only, the primary difference between an elder and a deacon is an elder is to be gifted in teaching. It's really important for elders as they're setting the pace of the church to be able to teach the church. Paul, by example, he taught the Ephesians. He did it in public. He did it in private. Notice what he says in verse 20. I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul, he says that he taught in public spaces, meaning most likely his synagogue sermons or the times that he would preach in in other public places. In the church, obviously this means in, in you know, settings like this, on Sunday mornings or during equipping classes, uh, more formal environments where we're able to, to teach. Uh, you know, we have at least uh, you know, four or five different venues where uh, people are encouraged to teach in formal ways. Elders set the pace of the church by leading out in teaching. But we're also to lead out in teaching in private Paul also says that he taught privately, meaning that he brought the gospel into people's homes. He taught people, you know, at their dinner tables what it meant to follow Jesus. And so this should be a pattern for us as elders as we're setting the pace of the church. We are teaching not only formally, but informally as we're meeting with people and getting to know them through coffee meetings, through lunches. Now, through their teaching, elders demonstrate to the church the necessity of spiritual nourishment. You see what Paul says? I did not shrink. I did, I did not keep anything from you. I, I gave you everything that was profitable. Later he says, I gave you the whole counsel of God. This shows us that we need the word of the Lord in order to grow in the likeness of Jesus. We need it. And elders demonstrate that by continually preaching and teaching the word of the Lord to 
the church. So by teaching, we set the pace. Elders also set the pace by evangelizing, by sharing the gospel with non-believers. I love how Paul says this here. Not only is he teaching the church, he is teaching those who have yet to come to faith. In verse 21, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Elders need to be evangelists. Elders, we set the pace for evangelism in the church as we seek to share the gospel with anyone and everyone in our lives who do not know Jesus. Through evangelism, if, if elders are evangelizing, it means a little bit more when we call the rest of the church to evangelize. If, if we are actively sharing the gospel, if you saw one of us out in public having a conversation, you overheard us and we're, we're telling someone about Jesus, that is just as powerful, maybe even more powerful than if we sat down with you and said, hey, look, you really need to do this because, you know, and, and we gave you all these reasons from the scriptures. We lead by example by sharing the gospel with non-believers. Something else that Paul does here that, that elders need to embody in order to set the pace of the church is Paul depended on the Spirit. So look at verse 22. Paul says, And now, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem. Why is he going to Jerusalem? He's constrained by the Spirit. And he says, I don't know what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. Elders set the pace of the church by depending on the Holy Spirit. Elders follow the Spirit's lead. Like Paul, these Ephesian elders and, and elders today must be constrained by the Holy Spirit. Meaning that if we believe that the Lord is leading us to do something, it would, take, it would have to take a lot it would have to take a whole lot. It would have to take someone convincing us that it's not actually the Holy Spirit that's leading us for us not to do that. This dependence on the Spirit to do in and through us what we can never do for ourselves. And one last thing. Um, elders set the pace of the church by resting ultimately in Jesus. Now, notice what Paul says about going to Jerusalem, not knowing what's going to happen to him, knowing that he could potentially die. It says in verse 24, But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul was not insecure. Insecurity is dangerous in leadership, period, but especially church leadership. You have to be secure in Jesus. You can't, you can't be looking for satisfaction or security or fulfillment through a ministry role like eldership. If you're, seek, if you're looking to eldership as a way to satisfy your soul in a way that only Jesus can, you'll be a terrible elder. And you'll be, you'll be an unhappy Christian if that's how you're living your Christian life. If if you are counting on a specific ministry, if you're counting on a specific job, if you're counting on a specific life change for your happiness, we talked about it last week, what is that? That's idolatry. Paul gives us this example where he says, I don't even count my life as much at all. If I can fulfill the calling that the Lord has given me, I'm all good. How's he able to say that? 
He's resting in the supremacy of Jesus. His satisfaction is found in Jesus above all else. So elders lead best when their commitment and their contentment and their satisfaction are found in Christ alone. So elders set the pace of the church as the church continues to move toward Jesus. One last thing here that elders do is elders preserve the beauty of the church. Um, look with me at verse 28. Acts 20, 28 is one of the more beautiful verses in the book of Acts. Listen to what Paul says. He says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Um, elders are expected to preserve the beauty of the church. And they're expected to preserve the beauty of the church because the church is beautiful. Now, it doesn't always feel that way. It doesn't always seem that way, that the church is, is, is really beautiful. The, the church is one of those organizations that it feels easy to give up on because it doesn't seem to provide enough for you. It, it, does, it doesn't seem to be, you know, an organization that, that gives money. I mean, if you quit going to church, how, that would not change your life in the same way if you quit going to work right um, so so you know you, you think about you think about you know your commitment to the church in this way if you don't see the church as as beautiful as was what it is it's easy to not be committed and it's easy for us to not take eldership seriously it's easy for us to just start playing games We're, we can't play games here we have to take this this elder nomination period seriously we have to start doing a better job of raising up future elders we have to do a better job of making sure we have processes for holding elders accountable we, we have to take this seriously we cannot play games and it's not because you know the church is important it's because the church is beautiful. The church is beautiful. I, I want you to look at this verse. The church is beautiful because, number one, God is still at work in the church. Do you see this? I, I just, I don't know. I don't know that we fully appreciate this. He's telling the elders to pay attention to themselves, to keep a watch on themselves guard your heart and he's telling them to, to keep a watch on the flock of God as well the church to care for them but look at this little comment here he says in which in which okay the church um, pay attention to the church in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers Do you see that? Do you know what that means? That means when we call people to serve as elders, there is an ultimate call that's even higher than the call from the current elders or the church. It's the Holy Spirit 
the Holy Spirit is active and involved in local churches, not just in the world in some grand way or in your heart in some secret way. The Holy Spirit is actually active and involved in local churches in a real, tangible way. So we are in dangerous territory when we start to play games with this. Listen, that's reason enough for us to stay committed to one another. That's reason enough for us to stay committed to the local church. God has not given up on us. He has not stopped working in us. And if anyone had a right to, it would be him. But God remains faithful. Paul, he he encourages these Ephesian elders by reminding them that the Holy Spirit has made them overseers. God has called you to serve as elders, Paul is saying here. So God remains active not only in the universal church, but in the local church. So while we go through this process of identifying and calling elders, ultimately it is the Holy Spirit who is calling and moving and working in the life of our church. And that is beautiful. But it's not what's most beautiful about the local church. What's most beautiful is that she is blood-bought. You see what he says? To care for the church of God, verse 28, the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. The church is beautiful because Jesus bought her with his blood. Paul says that God obtained the church with his blood, meaning the church belongs to God. We we are God's prized possession. We are precious to him. And, And if the church belongs to God, then we do not have the freedom to do whatever we want with her. We can't do that. We, we don't get to make our own rules, play our own games, and make the church fit, you know, our latest cultural preference. The church is beautiful because she belongs to Jesus. We are his. He bought us with his blood that was shed on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. So we need to see our worth, and at the same time, we need to treat the Lord's church with the care of that she deserves. And that's why he gives these exhortations. He says, you need to preserve the church's dignity. You you know, what what we see here is that elders are responsible for caring for the church. There's dignity that's given here. Elders are supposed to pay attention, not only to themselves, but to the flock, to know the flock well, to care for them, so that every single member of a church knows that he or she is valuable and important. That is preserving the dignity of the church. And this is what elders are called to do. But, but then he, he also gives them this, this charge. He says, the church is beautiful. Preserve its dignity. The church is also, you know, beautiful. So preserve her truth. He tells them here, be alert. Verse 31. Be alert. Remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. He says in verse 29, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. So he says, elders, preserve the church's truth. Protect the church from anyone and anything that would lead them away from the mission, lead them away from Jesus. 
you know how he, how he wraps it up? Um, look what he says in verse 32. I, I find this particularly beautiful. As an elder, um, and, and if, if you are an elder, if you're striving to be an elder, or if you're just a church member, there's a, there's a beautiful word here for us in verse 32. This is a high call to set the pace of a church, to, to help preserve the beauty of a church, the dignity of a church, the truth of a church. And we will fail. We will fail to, to fulfill this perfectly. And yet, we won't be lost. Look what he says in verse 32. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Paul's final exhortation to these elders before he departs to never see them again is a call to rest in the grace of God. He's telling them, God's grace will build you up now for the ministry that is before you. In order for you to, to lead your people, you need the Lord's grace. I commend you to God's grace. I commend God's grace to you. You are desperate for his grace. You are desperate for his word, and he will provide. Rely on his grace, and it will be sufficient for you in your ministry now. But you know what's so amazing here? He says, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is on the one hand able to build you up now, but then do you see what he says? And to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. In the same breath, he's putting elders and church members all on the same playing field. Elders don't have, you know, a special status before the Lord. They will receive the same inheritance that every other believer receives, and they will receive it in the exact same way that every other believer does. Not through performance, but through participation in the grace of God that's extended to them in Jesus. God's grace guarantees future inheritance. Here's what that means, elders, potential elders, future elders of Trace Crossing. You do not earn more favor from God by being a faithful elder. That's not how it works. And you do not lose favor or love from God by failing as an elder. The inheritance is yours. It is secured, not by your ability to lead well, but by God's grace. And the same is true for every single person in this room. Your future is secure, not based on what you do, but based on what God has done for you in Jesus. He is the one who is sufficient. And so as we strive to keep moving forward as a church, pursuing this mission of making disciples who love God and who love others, we do need faithful elders who are going to, to help set the pace for us and also who are going to help preserve the beauty of this church that Jesus has bought with his own blood. But we all need to do this and pursue this in the very sobering reality that if left to our own devices, if left to ourselves, we would be a hopeless people. We would fail and we would be ruined. But by God's grace, whether you succeed or whether you fail, whether you stumble 
whether you're running full steam ahead on mission with Jesus, you will be upheld by his grace. And it is by his grace and his grace alone that you will one day cross the finish line and receive the inheritance that Christ has won for you.